Well, hey, and welcome to episode 25 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss how Romans 8 should inform our theology of prayer. We also begin the conversation regarding the sovereignty of God. And I say we begin the conversation because we we will honestly continue this same conversation all the way through chapter 11. And so this isn't a one once and only conversation. It is a continual conversation over the course of the next couple of months in our text. As always, if you've not yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to go back and do so as it's going to help this conversation make a lot more sense. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey guys, good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. How yeah. was your weekend? Oh, see now you just I set know. me up. You I just did. set me up. Okay. I did that on purpose. Here's two things. I'm a Kentucky basketball fan. They got whooped down by Kansas and my Bengals got beat last night by the Chiefs and it made me want to yell at the refs and I'm not that guy, but I had to and it went sideways so is kelly a chief's fan though she is she went to kansas i'm sorry she went to high school in kansas in Peoria, kansas and so when they yeah so she's a chief's fan so she sat on one couch last night and i sat on the other yeah and at the end of the game she says to me um it's not near as fun to celebrate when you're running around the house yelling at the refs that that (laughs) That doesn't make my victory feel better. Yeah, so, but today you're just glad on her behalf, right? So. No, I wish it. I wish it were so, but it's not. But I'm getting over it. It'll be fine. Yeah, there you go. What about you, Josh? Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't like either team, so honestly, <laughs> yeah. they could have both had a power outage and ended in a tie, and they would have been just fine with me. Because I didn't watch a single football game this weekend. Oh, I just didn't do it. I watched uh, a lot of basketball. I'm coaching too, my oldest. And so um, I'm pretty passionate. I think all of you who that probably comes as no surprise, that passion also extends onto the basketball court with nine and 10 year olds. I will say, <laughs> so I've coached a lot before. And so I'm usually not a yell at the ref guy either. It just doesn't usually move the ball down. Mm-hmm. You know, they, don't, they just get mad at you. Yeah. But um, I do have a lot of ex- facial express <laughs> expressions, and so they were on full display this weekend. Um, with nine and ten year olds, with nine and ten, and I told my wife, I was like, "I'm just, I'm all in. I'm fully invested. I, <laughs> what has happened? Like, I was like, yeah, I'll do this. It'd be really fun to coach my kiddo, and I just want them to like learn the game. And like, I just can't do it fifty percent, man. Like, I'm all in. So I had a guy come to me at Pastor's Point. And was like, "Hey, coach," and I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> Yikes. He was like, and it was really good. He was like, man, I love I love how excited you are for the kiddos, how you're high-fiving them and you're pulling them aside. And I was like, okay, good. Because <laughs> like, uh, I had a buddy of mine who used to go to my games when I'd coach and he'd sit in the visitor uh, bleachers. And <laughs> I was just like a wild man out there. Not like a Bobby Knight, but I, again, man, I'm just super passionate. <laughs> you yeah. picked Bobby Knight? Well, I just don't want people to think I'm crazy. 
So sure. Um, are you throwing passion. chairs yeah. at nine and ten year old no, games? No, not okay. definitely. And he would sit in like the opposing benches or the visitor section, and they'd be he'd overhear them always. He'd be like, "Hey, that's my pastor," and they'd be like, "Oh, oh!" <laughs> so then it would be like a funny joke. And so I was telling him I was coaching. He was like, "Oh." what I would give to be in those stands. Oh, man. Because he knew. Yeah. He just knows me. Uh-huh. Like, I'm all in, man. I want these kids to do well. That's what I told my wife. I was exhausted after the game. <laughs> she was like, you're all in. I was like, I know. I can't help it. I I just want them to love the game of basketball, and we're having a good time, and they're working so hard in practice. So I'm like, so that's my weekend. So if you would love to see Josh um, in a different light or a new way, maybe, you can come to the armory on Saturday mornings and you can cheer for us. There our, you go. Our little team of we're all tiny and we're just scrappy. I love <laughs> it, man. We're just wait, wait. You can't have your if your kid's on the team, you can't. Oh, well, yeah, Judah's pretty big and tall, but yeah. I picked a lot of eight-year-olds. And so I got a couple younger ones, and then I'm just like, man, we're gonna love the game of basketball. So there you go. It's it was a good weekend, but I'm I am nervous now. What Prescott's gonna think of Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't. I didn't pick up on too much of that when we coached uh, T-ball last year. I guess T-ball it doesn't quite translate the same. It, no, no. All right. Uh, uh-uh. uh. It didn't practice like we were. Pretty yeah, intense. we we did have a pretty intense for for T-ball. For right? T-ball, I mean, that's for like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, let's dive in. Um, want to open it up uh, and just talk a little bit about what uh, what stood out to you guys this past Sunday? Um, we were in Romans eight. Uh, 26 through 30. So we had a pretty consolidated chunk of text today for good reason. There was there was a lot in there that we wanted to cover. Um, so Josh, what uh, what stood out to you this Sunday? Highlights? Yeah, so two things. I was thinking about this this morning um, as I was getting ready, coming in. Um, obviously, the the two biggest takeaways were, and we've, Jason talked about this, I think at our staff uh, retreat, maybe this spring, the adding the word win, because we were just talking about prayer as a church and just raising that temperature of prayer. But anyways, he's, he made that that concept then. And so it stayed with me. So to hear it even out loud, fleshed out even further, we do. We do just add uh, the win. And then we definitely misuse uh, the Romans 8.28. Yeah. Um, so just thinking through how many times I've heard that text um, and the ways it's been used. And you're going, oh, yeah, nope, that's probably not actually what Paul meant. Mm-hmm. I will say, so those were the two things that jumped out to me. So hopefully people walked away with a, a deeper understanding of, of those two points. <clears throat> but I will say just side note, I was sitting in at 930, uh, just going to church with my wife. And uh, you were talking about suffering in the beginning because you had to reset the framework. And I'm just sitting there typically kind of looking around and I like out of the corner of my eye in the row in front of me, uh, there's this lady and <clears throat> you're talking about suffering and how God uses our suffering and how all that peace. And like, she almost, like she starts weeping and like, she is just, just heavy. And it was the reminder again, and I, I said it a couple of times, but, but in our seats, there's, we just have no clue what people are going through. Like, we just don't even, like, you're five minutes in, man. And she's like, oh, man. I don't know if it's our first time or our hundredth time. I don't know if she's back to, but it is just that constant reminder for me as a pastor is, like, what people are walking in with um, is so 
heavy. And so we always have to do that. Our job as a pastor and teacher is, is providing hope um, because they do need to hear, oh, man, this, this does have a purpose. This does have a meaning. And suffering is just so you, all of us, like you said, we're all in it. So it just really stood out to me and it kept, just for me personally, God just needed, I think, I just need that little reminder once again of like, hey, this is what we do, what we do. And I think it's important as what we're moving into can distract us sometimes for when people are really struggling with a lot of different things and we have no clue what that is, but they're coming in there to hear the hope of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I always want to make sure that we do our part to share that with them. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Um, I, you know, I, for me, one of the the things that stood out was kind of similar to you, Josh, right? We had this word when, like when we don't know what to pray, the spirit intercedes. And it's like, yeah, it's just not in there, uh, which I, I loved that kind of tangent, Jason, that you went on and the questions that it caused, because it was like a, a an overhaul of people's theology of prayer. Like we had people literally coming out saying, so then how do I pray? What do I pray for? If that's not the thing, if this isn't the way, what is the way? And I just, anytime we're in a place where we're asking those questions, um, I think we've done our job. <laughs> I think we've caused people to think uh, and, and dive a little bit deeper into the text and and realize, hey, some of these things that we do on a regular basis, um, you know, may not be the the method that we see scripturally. So I, I just love every time we get an opportunity to have some of those conversations after the message where where people are really thinking, like mm-hmm. really wrestling with. Uh, what it is that we see in scripture. So I love that. Jason, what, what about you? Anything you didn't get to or anything that you, uh, um, anything you want to elaborate on? No, I feel like we were able to work through, um, you know, we took, again, we, we were walking through Romans 8, pretty uh, pretty small chunks. So I only had four verses this weekend. I really only spent the bulk of the time on three of them. I didn't, I kind of skipped over the last one, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But we, uh, we got to most of it, you know, and I, I agree with you, Brendan, that when people walk out and they, it's not just one of those, oh, good sermon pastor kind of things, but it's like, oh, wait, that that changes the way I've seen this or changes the way I'm thinking about this. Then, um, and that's always a win. We want people to be in the word and thinking and, um, and challenged and uh, even if they disagree with me, and sometimes that happens, so. Yeah, that's good. Well, speaking of the right, the questions, walking out of the room and, and the questions, I feel like every once in a while we have these Sundays where, um, you know, we do this pastor's point thing can always, you know, we want to make ourselves available after before and after services. And uh, we always offer that up as an option. Hey, if you have any questions, if you want to just connect with one of us, hey, come, come ask a question, come chat and love to get to know you a little bit more. Um, and some weekends, we get no one, right? like probably for good reason, because it was a heavy message or there was not much to really talk about or think about. Uh, like the the money sermons and the sex sermons. Like no one comes <laughs> no, out to pastor's point for those ones. No, no. no one wants to talk anymore about that. But this uh, sometimes we get these Sundays where it's like, hey, we got a number of questions um, or the same question over and over again. Anytime that happens, again, I think it's, um, it's worth us spending a fair bit of time here on. So the first question is exactly what Josh and I just kind of alluded to. And it's all about this idea of, of prayer, right? So here's the question. Can you elaborate? And this question kind of came, there were a couple of people, uh, Dave and Sherry, and a couple more that popped up to pastor's point. So if you had a question like this, uh, hopefully this answer will apply to your specific question as well. Uh, but here's, here's the question. Can you elaborate 
on the Spirit interceding on our behalf in our prayers. Scripture says uh, to pray unceasingly uh, with a bunch of references to that. But if God already knows what we need, then why does it say that to begin with? Could you just maybe spend, Jason, a little bit of time helping us formulate our theology of prayer? Yeah. So again, the question that you just answered, the one couple of them that I got, and I know you guys got is, why should we even pray? If God already knows, if I don't know what I'm supposed to be praying, then why should I pray? And those are all legitimate questions. Um, and again, I do think it it speaks to a misunderstanding about how we think about prayer. Um, that it's not just about, prayer is never about me telling God something he doesn't know. Prayer is never me asking God to do something that he is unaware of. I'm never making God aware of a situation. Um, so God already knows all of it. And again, he knows what we need before we ask. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 makes that very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about, look, God knows what you need. He knows, you know, that you need clothes and he knows you need food. He, he knows all of that. So we have to get to the place where we begin thinking about prayer less as about me ordering off of a menu, trying to get God to move in my direction, and more about me moving into God's direction. Um, so I think about it, I've used this kind of analogy a couple of times. Think about a conversation. Uh, you guys are married. There's really two types of conversations that you can have with your wife. Well, there's a lot more, but here, here are two. One of them is a need-to-know conversation. So Josh says, hey, uh, got to go pick up the kids from practice today. Can you grab dinner? That's a need-to-know conversation. Hey, so-and-so's coming over tomorrow, and I've got a meeting that I won't be home for. Uh, I'm going to the store, and then I'm going to go work out. I'll see you at 6. Those are all need-to-know conversations. And we have those all the time. You have a thousand of those a day. Every time you go to the grocery store, every time you go to order a restaurant, every time you're asking your kids to clean their room, those are all need to know. Here's this thing. It's just information passing back and forth. But then we have get to know you conversations where, Brennan, you take Porter out and you just go sit in a restaurant, eat ice cream, and you just say, hey, tell me what's going on with your life. Tell me what's going on with, with school. How's things with your buddy? And you just sit there and you listen. And that's a get-to-know-you conversation. You're, you're not trying to, to get him to do anything. It's just you want to know about his heart. You're just trying to pour in. When, if we're good husbands, there are going to be times where we take our wives out. We just have a get-to-know-you conversation. What's going on in your life? Tell me about your heart. What's, what's scaring you? What are you praying about these days? These are get-to-know-you conversations. I think many of us, we only ever get into these need to know conversations with God. Well, we're trying to get God to do something, or we're trying to get God to tell us something. And it's just uh, transactional in our prayers. As, as opposed to what we find in Scripture, it's, there should be a get-to-know-you portion of our prayers, where we just want to know the heart of God, and God wants to know our heart. So it's a relational-building conversation, not just about trying to get God to do something. Um, and so that piece, I think we're missing a lot in, in our prayer. So um, what we're talking about here is we don't even know what we ought to know to pray. 
And so the Holy Spirit gets digging deep into our hearts and he knows what we really need and what's the real underneath driver. And he speaks that on our behalf. So does that mean we shouldn't pray? And I asked this in the sermon and the response is obviously no, it doesn't mean we don't pray. We ought to pray and scripture ought to tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray unceasingly all the time. The, all of those things are absolutely true. Um, G, uh, Peter said, cast your cares on, God invites us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Like we, we should always be praying more and more. Um, but we're not praying because God doesn't know what we need. And so this, I think, ought to help us to pray more because we understand that that at the heart of it, God knows what we need and he wants what's best for us. And through his spirit, he's going to move us in that direction. Again, we would think about it with our own kids. We want our kids to talk to us. And it's not as, again, rarely are, are our kids going to tell us something that we don't already know. But they learn something at school, and we want them to come share that with us and get excited about it. Um, not because we didn't know it, but because we just want to hear them. We want to spend time with them. We want to be a part of their life. So um, I'm going to rambling a little bit here. But the answer is yes, we should keep praying. I was thinking about this text um, that Paul has at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. So this sums up. Paul's theology on prayer. The same guy who wrote Romans chapter 8 that we don't know what we ought to pray for, here's what he also writes. In Roman, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will, will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So he tells us, pray and keep praying and pray for people and pray for me and pray that I can speak the gospel. He wants us to pray. Again, the issue is many times we just don't know what we ought to pray for because we don't know what's coming next. So how, do, how does this impact how we pray? We just have to begin, and as I think I said it in our sermon yesterday, we have to pray like Jesus, who at the end of the day says, but not my will, but yours be done. And we're always praying, God, your will be done, that I'm willing to surrender myself to your will. If what I'm praying for, Jesus prayed in the garden. I don't want to do this thing that you're asking me to do. Let this cup be passed from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And what will happen as we begin to better understand God's overall will in the world, what he's trying to accomplish and what he's trying to accomplish in us is it will begin to change how we pray. And our prayers, as we get to know what God's trying to accomplish in the world and what he's trying to accomplish in us, it will change and we'll stop it will change our prayers from asking for things related to comfort all the time or convenience all the time. Because I know what God's trying to do in the world. He's trying to, he's trying to get people to come to the salvation of the gospel. And he wants to use me to be a part of that. He's going to transform me into the likeness of Jesus. And he'll use suffering to do that. And so when the 
diagnosis comes, I'll pray for healing, but I'm also going to pray, God, what do you want to do and do with me? How, how are you wanting to use this to transform me to make me like Jesus, even if I don't get healed? So it does change that prayer. So again, I'm rambling a lot. The goal is get to know the will of God in the world, understand God's overarching will in my life, which is to transform into the likeness of Jesus. And then we hold it all with open hands and say, God, at the end of the day, your will be done. Yeah, really good. Um, so I think to some of our struggle with prayer, um, kind of what you were saying, uh, is we think uh, communication, again, we're just trying to talk to God to give us something versus communion. Like I'm just trying to be with God, right? Mm-hmm. To get to know you, peace. I mean, I think it's because we compartmentalize our our life. Like we have family life, I have work life, I have gym life, I have this life, and then I have Bible reading life and prayer life. And um, I heard this really cool example. We think of our life like handbells, like there's 10 of them, work, play, sleep, prayer. And we ring one at a time and we set it down and then we'll go pick up prayer and we'll ring it for a little bit and we put it down. But we should see it more like a sleigh bell on a string that when one bell rings, they're all interconnected. Like, and our life is, is kind of like that. And so prayer is more uh, about communion instead of just adding it into our schedule. I'm not saying we shouldn't have maybe set times to mm-hmm. pray. I think it is important to, but a lot of us is like, well, I say my morning prayer or my evening prayer, and then I don't invite God in the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I'm, okay, God, I said my thing. I did my prayer. I'll see you tomorrow. Or it's, I'm in trouble. Suffering has happened. Um, will you please come and rescue me? Mm-hmm. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in the football game. Yep. The entire world stopped to pray. Yep. They prayed on TV. It, it was incredible. If you're a believer, it was so incredible to see people coming together because innately inside of us, there is something that goes, this is way bigger than me. I need something else. So I'm going to ask, even people who probably aren't believers, I'm going to ask and hope that there actually is a God in this moment. Yep. Um, and, and so our, we saw that. We got to witness that aspect. And we got to see the clip of a football player praying on national TV, really praying. And he was doing that thing. He was like, I'm not just going to say let's pray for him, but he prays. Such an incredible clip. But again, just that reminder, and you said that, so we all drive into this, but for a lot of us, that's just what prayer is. I'm just ringing the bell. Hope you hear me, God. I'm going to put it down and then I'm going to leave. And so try thinking of prayer more as a, a, a part of you, as a way to commune. I love, we talk about Dallas Woodard a lot because he talks about spirituality, but he says, don't seek to develop a prayer life, seek a praying life. A praying life is a life that is saturated with prayerfulness. You seek to do all that you do with the Lord. And so just this idea of not disconnecting our spirituality from who I am in my workplace or who I am at my home, you know, but it's all interconnected. And when I see that and when I believe that, I develop that habit of always pausing to invite God in and to spend time with him. It moves out of I'm just coming to you because I need you to I'm coming. I'm coming to you because I just want to be with you. And it's, and it's as I want to be with you that I will begin to uh, know that will of God. Um, uh, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, Mother Teresa was on uh, like 
what is it, Sunday evening, 60 minutes or whatever. And Dan Rathers was like, hey, so when you pray with God, what do you do? And she's like, I just listen. I just sit there. And he goes, okay, well, what does God say to you? He doesn't say anything. He just listens. And he was like, I don't understand. She goes, and I can't explain it to you. But like, she just had this, I, this understanding of I'm just going to sit and be with God. And like, we don't think that of prayer. We think much more the opposite of it is the magic genie. I'm rubbing the three wishes. And not that God doesn't want to hear those things, but I think we've just kind of messed it up. So, yeah, I love that. I do not to get on a tangent about the thing, but I, I remember Josh, you and I were down at the conference and they show this clip of Dan Orlovsky praying for DeMar Ham Hamlin on national TV. Right. And I wasn't watching the broadcast. I wasn't watching the game. Did, I'm not a football guy. I didn't see any of this until until later on. And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are being asked to pray for someone that doesn't pray, go watch that clip. Like that dude did everything he needed to do. He explained exactly what he was doing. If you find yourself regularly around people that don't believe what you believe and you want to you want to walk with them through what it looks like and why you pray, man, he killed it. He, he nailed it on national TV. So that was obviously super encouraging <laughs> to be yeah. able to see uh, at that scale for someone like us. And I, and I would say, which is really cool, kind of tying into what we're talking <clears throat> about with the making more stuff, yeah. is we're all praying for these opportunities now. And when we get them, we got to take them, right? And that's what it looked like to me. And so again, I don't know Dan Orlowski. I do know he is a believer. I have heard that. Um, but here's this guy who is in this workplace environment and he's like, I'm all right, here it is. No one else knows what to do. No one else knows what to do. I'm doing it. Yeah. And right. you were just like, Oh, he did that thing. And so I'm encouraged because I know a lot of you, it's like, it's easy for all of us as pastors sometimes to forget. I get it, man. A lot of you are in workplaces. You're listening to this driving to work. You are surrounded not by believers. Like I, I sometimes take that for granted. We're in a workplace all day with people who are followers of Jesus and you are having to find your moments and, and you may even be better at this. Like you are always God. Okay. How help me, God, help me, God. I want to know what to say. I want to. And then man, that's the piece of this praying all the time. So some of you may be doing that. And so I would just encourage you, man, keep leaning in. Don't stop. Like keep leaning in, man, God. All right. Today is a new day. I don't want to help. And when that moment comes, I want to be able to share my faith, mm -hmm. whatever it looks like. And for him, he just prayed. Yeah. And it seems so innocent, but I would imagine people are like, Hey, Tell me more, right? Coworkers were like, hey, right. I've seen you and I knew you were different. Yeah. Well, and two, again, like the, the, and it nails the, the thing we're talking about with the making more stuff right now, um, because he prayed in a way that connected to people that don't pray. Like he communicated what he was doing in a way that was super crystal clear. He told him exactly what he was doing. He said, I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to close my eyes. Like, this is what I'm doing at a level to where like, we make all these assumptions because we're around people that pray all the time. He didn't make those assumptions because he's not. Um, so again, I just thought it was such a uh, such a great, like spirit-filled way to to do this thing that he believes as a faith practice on national television and help communicate it to a bunch of people that may not may not share those same beliefs. So again, really, really cool thing to witness. Can I bring it back to yeah. our text real quick? I think again, I, I don't want to miss what Paul, the incredible thing that Paul is saying here. Um, Look, we're again, we're all weak in in these fleshly bodies. We are in weakness. We our flesh is powerful, sin is constant. I mean, we there will be a day when we will have perfectly 
clear mind without having endured sin. Our hearts will be perfectly pure. Our motives will be perfectly pure. All of that thing, we will experience that one day, but that day is not today. And so we are living in weakness right now, which is why he says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit, this is the amazing part. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Like, I don't think we give enough credit to the fact we're, even as we're talking about it right now, we're talking about what we can do and how we should do and what how we can grow and what we, and that's all great and good. But what Paul's saying is the Spirit of God right now when you're praying is actually interceding for you. Like the very Spirit of God, no matter what prayers you're praying, do those prayers. Keep doing that. But but you just need to know that the Holy Spirit that God has put in you is digging into your soul, understanding what you, and he knows, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit as the Spirit is interceding for us with these wordless groans. He's taking the deepest needs for us that we can't even articulate and bringing them before the Father. Like, we all love intercessory prayer. We love it when people are praying for us. But again, even the greatest people that we know and love who are praying for us, they're praying out of their own weakness. They're praying out of their own ignorance. They don't really understand what's going on in our hearts or what God is trying to accomplish in any single moment. But the Spirit of God does, and He's taking that. I just think we need to look at this, and instead of it causing us to question how we're praying— it ought to just blow us away, the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is praying on our behalf. Like, that's what Paul's trying to get to, that he is interceding for us before the Father, taking all of our greatest needs and all of our greatest hurts and all of our greatest desires and trying to bring them into parallel lines with the very will of God. And that ought to just blow our minds. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's shift gears then here um, to uh, the second question. Really, we got we got a bunch of questions, but they kind of have these two themes. One was this idea of prayer and what does it mean to us now considering this text. This is the other one. We got four or five questions uh, that kind of can be summed up in this one. And then maybe we can spend some time elaborating on why this is a question <laughs> that so many were asking to begin with, but kind of the elephant, elephant in the room. Here's the question. Um, and it was asked by Dwayne and Deborah and Jody, and I know a number of other people as well. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of sum this up for all of you. Uh, and here it is. In today's sermon, we read Romans 8.30, which says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Um, would you please explain a few things? There were a couple of words that I think we needed to, to define here. Would you please please explain predestined. Also, how are they called? What does it mean to be foreknown? And what is the meaning of justified in this context? Oh, so we're going to make this easy. Yeah, yeah. Just simple, you know, probably three, <laughs> four minute response here, and then uh, we'll sign off. Have fun. <laughs> okay. Well, let me just say this. So just as I said, we can't take 28 and separate it from 29. We can't take 30 and separate it from 29. Again, these all go together. We can't we can't separate them. So, before we get to 30, we have to read 29. It says, "For those God foreknew." And the word foreknew means to know beforehand. 
Like that's that's all it means. To those God foreknew, he also predestined. That means to be predetermined. Now the question is, what is he predestining? What is he what is predetermined? Well, those he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he predestined. And how did he predestine? It came out of a foreknowledge. Now, there's a here, here's the big thing. We're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about this issue about predestination. There's really two camps. You have Calvinism and you have Arminianism. Uh, or you could say it this way. There's Reformed theology that looks at the sovereignty of God and says that everything is predetermined, like that literally God has predetermined everyone who will be saved and everyone who will be damned. Like there's, it, it literally is that God, there are some who believe that God picks some people for salvation, and picks other people for hell before they're ever born. They're created to be saved, and they're created to be damned. Okay, so that's, in a nutshell, that is one viewpoint. There's another viewpoint that says that God does not choose that beforehand, but he does know that beforehand, which is where the foreknowledge comes in, that God does know whether or not Josh is going to come to a place of salvation. He, he, God, God is outside of time. And so this is where we all get messed up. God is outside of time. God is not the, what's happened at the cross and what's happening today is at the exact same moment in, in, in infinity. God is looking at all of it. He sees the entire picture from beginning to end before any day passes. So there are those who'd say, God, God didn't choose people to be saved or damned, but he does know. He foreknew. And those he foreknew, he predestined. And we're going to see this word again in Romans chapter 11. We're going to read this word where it says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. In other words, there were Israelites who were in and there were Israelites who were out. And God didn't choose who was in or who was out. He didn't determine who was in or who was out, but he always knew who was going to be in and who was going to be out. And so, again, this is a debate that's been happening for hundreds of years um, of around God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. And so that's the gist of the conversation. And it's not something we're going to solve in 14 minutes on a podcast. And it's not something we're going to solve looking at this one verse. Again, we have to look at all of them. And we're going to spend a lot more time in Romans 9, 10, and 11. This pops up a lot. Um, so th- to answer the, the question quickly, I think we've got to look at verse 29. What did he predestine for in this particular text? He predestined. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be formed into the image of his son. That was the what he predestined for. And again, all of that, it's foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That, that he knows those who have been made into the image of his son, he's called them into that. He predestined them for that out of his foreknowledge. Uh, one of the illustrations that I've used sometimes is, um, think about if you were 
trying to think. What is Murphy's Hotel down on the square? So you're you're in a corner room at I'm sorry, not Murphy's, St. Michael's, St. Michael's Hotel, right there on the corner of Gurley and Montezuma, and you got a corner room, and you're looking out your room, and you see a car coming down Gurley Street, and it's it's rolling down the hill. And you see another car that's that's coming down Whiskey Row, and it's just flying. And you're not a smart person. You don't have you you don't have infinite wisdom, but you can look and see this car coming down Gurley and this car coming down Montezuma, and you can say they're gonna wreck. And you know it because you see this car coming, you see that car coming. Now the question is, because you see it and you know it, and it's gonna happen. Did you cause it to happen? And that's the way we have to think about God. Just because God sees something that's going to happen, he foreknows something, does that mean he actually causes something? Again, this is a debate that has gone on for hundreds of years. Um, For those of you who are wondering, I, I do not fit into the Calvinist camp. Um, I'm, there's a lot less certainty for me than probably there was with 20-year-old Jason. There's more mystery in it all for me. I but I don't I don't fall into the Calvinist camp. And I'll show you why as we walk through specifically chapter nine of why I just don't feel like that's what Paul's trying to get us to believe. And I don't even believe it's what Paul believes. And the reason I don't believe it's what Paul believes is because he spends his life. Um, putting his own uh, life at risk to go help people know about Jesus. And if he had a theology that said God had picked them all beforehand, I just, it doesn't make sense to me that he would be so distraught for people who were out and so passionate to get people in. If he, if he had an understanding that everybody was chosen in or out before anything ever happened, I don't know that he would be so distraught for people who are out or so passionate to make sure people hear the Gospels so that they could be in. So with that, I don't fit into the Calvinist camp, but I don't even know that it matters. At the end of the day, there is this tension that we're all going to have to live with related to the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. we got to hold these two things in tension. And oftentimes when we're debating this topic of predestination, we have it's always in the context of trying to determine other people's salvation. Right. We're always arguing about other people. It's never about ourselves. It's never about what God's calling me to do and how he's asking me to live and the responsibility he's given me through the great commission. We're just trying to put a big old blanket on God's going to do this for those people and that for those people and relieve ourselves of any responsibility. And I just don't see that biblically. So again, I'm probably I went way too <laughs> Way deeper than I wanted to. Yeah. Are we going to talk tick more people off than I wanted to? But we'll get into this as we go through chapters nine, ten, and eleven. There's a there's a lot more that Paul is going to explain related yeah. to this issue. And I think the the reason and Josh and I talked about this a little bit last week. I think it was um, the reason this sort of thing matters because yeah, like you said, we're going to get a, a lot deeper into this. It's also right the first question that was asked when we publicized we were going through Romans, right? Hey, what are you going to do about chapter nine? What mm. are we going to talk about? Like yep. well, when it comes to your your own personal theology of uh, of the sovereignty of God and 
again, I think the the reason it matters and the reason we can have this conversation, knowing that it's a conversation that's been had for a thousand years, right? Knowing that people have been back and forth on this issue, uh, this spectrum of of Calvinism and Arminianism. Reason it matters in my mind to me, like in a practical sense, is not because of the theology, but it's because if we are abiding by a theology, a, a bucket of theology, right? Calvinism or Arminianism, that causes me to live a life that's contrary to what Jesus called me to in Matthew 28 or in any other scriptures, right? If it if it has an impact on my desire to go reach my one, impact them for Jesus then it's just wrong. And that's why, like at the very simplest level, that's what this conversation means to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can get into the finite details of the arguments, but for me, it's like, yeah, that's where I have to check myself. Of like, am I doing what Jesus commands me to do? Am I being obedient to, to what scripture says? If so, cool. Okay. We can have this conversation, but I, I want to make sure we start there and then work our way through it. So gosh. yeah, I was going to say, you know, for those who fall on whatever side, like, we can go to church together and we can worship the same Jesus together. It is not a, a reason I don't think for anger and hostility. I have a lot of good friends who are pastors who fall into the reformed camp and I love them and we're going to celebrate in heaven together. And they're passionate about telling people about Jesus and I love it. And they know where I stand. And at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think we're probably changing each other's minds um, on this topic. Uh, but I will say, uh, again, they're, I would consider my brother. Um, they're my brother and sister in Christ. And they're, like I said, I think in the end, we're going to go, man, I don't know if that really mattered, either one of us. And I think I'm going to be wrong. I think that's what, just as you said, I think what I know now in almost 40s is there's a lot more humility that I come to the word of God with um, because I've seen God do things I never would have thought he could do, even in my own life. I've seen him work in ways that seem just unimaginable. And I've seen him do stuff with people that I can't make sense of. And it has only brought me to more humility. And when I operate out of that, when I come openly and honestly out of that, it's just the, it's the place God wants us. You know, one of the verses we talk about all the time here is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so I just, I want to just set the tone, hopefully for all of us, especially those of you who are listening, is over the next five weeks that we just humbly come in and go, oh, okay. Or hear things and go, oh, okay, maybe I don't believe that. But it doesn't like stir us up and anger us and want to divide us. Um, but it does help seek to give us clarity and understanding. And at the end of the day, Brendan's right. Hopefully I'm still doing what Jesus tells me to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think back, Paul wrote this whole thing to make people more obedient and to live out their faith. And that's the bookend. And I don't want us to forget the bookends of that's what he's writing in this book to these Roman Christians for mm -hmm. is like, live your faith out, mm -hmm. do that. Don't, don't get caught up on some of the things that I think sometimes want to just catch us up and um, distract us sometimes in a way. Yeah, that's good. All right. I think that might be enough for today. Anything else to add? No, it's going to be fun. We're going to get to the, the Romans chapter nine is the the hard stuff and yep. that it really does jump out of here. But don't miss out on next week. Next week is like the greatest crescendo of all of Romans eight. So we want to glory in that uh, next week uh, that the love of God and there is nothing that will separate us from it. So come and let's celebrate that together before we get to the hard stuff. Sounds good. We'll talk again real soon. 
All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 25 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We couldn't be more excited to share this with you each and every week. Well, on today's episode, you heard us answer a bunch of listener questions. If you ever find yourself in the middle of one of our messages and and have a question that comes to mind, I do encourage you to join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you can submit your question to be answered and discussed right here on the Gospel for Everyone podcast. Well, I hope this conversation at the end of the day was helpful in your walk with Jesus as we move through this book of Romans together. Can't wait to see you again next time.